Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scottish Clans. I'm Clint. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. It is going to be a real treat. I have Ethan Hunt, an interview that we did. It was a few weeks ago, actually. It has just taken me a long time to get to this. One is because the conversation that we had went over two hours. We didn't, neither one of us had a, a hard stop on the other side that we needed to be cognizant of. We just just had a great discussion and just let the conversation flow. We did stick to an outline, so there is some organization to how we discuss the subject of DNA and Scottish clans, which is what you're in for. But we just but we just let it we let, we let it go without worrying about sharp time constraints. I have broken this episode up into two segments. One is Ethan doing some ground laying some foundation for understanding DNA. Now, that doesn't mean that it's completely a conversation about DNA. A lot of the conversation, we wove in aspects of Scottish clans into it. So you're going to, it's not a strictly DNA conversation. If you have a degree in genetics, then maybe you can bypass to episode number, or part number two, I should say. If you do not have a degree in genetics, even if you studied a little bit, there's probably still a little bit in here you can learn. And like I said, we still worked in some Scottish clan stuff, so that's not completely absent from the conversation either. So tune in, enjoy this. I'm so grateful to Ethan for taking the time to do this out of his schedule. Um, I do want to mention my sponsor to start off with, USA Kilts. If you have any desire, any desire to express your heritage or to express your pride in your heritage, in your Scottish heritage, Celtic generally, Scottish specific, go to usakilts.com. If you want to learn some great things about wearing a kilt, the history of the kilt, some general Scottish history and culture, go to USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions on YouTube. They've got some great content on there. Um, all right, I'm about to turn you over to Ethan. I just want to express how much of a treat it was. I have not been able to nerd out like this with another person on Scottish history in person since Dane and I. You know who you are, Dane. Dane Sawyer out there. Since we were in the same unit and we would be at drill and we would just be nerding out and somebody would walk up and we'd just change the subject because we were trying to have people skills. But it was such a treat and then Dane moved and I hold it against him. But anyway, um, another thing I want to apologize to everybody before I start into this is the tardiness of this content has been a long gap in between i've moved i've changed careers there's been some big things happen the sale of a home the online course is coming i'm in the process of actually getting it published right now big things ahead but there's a lot on my plate so thank you for your patience and uh here we go i'm going to turn this over to uh, the, the conversation I had with Ethan. Once again, thank you, Ethan, for doing this. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have Ethan Hunt with me. He is, uh, he's been a listener for about a year, he said. He's a native of California, and I'm not going to talk too much about him. I'm going to let him introduce himself here, but we're really excited to have him on here. I haven't He's kind of helping me trailblaze here. We're kind of being pioneers, not like this. Nobody's ever done this before, but it's new to me. And because of this episode, which will be published probably both on YouTube and on the podcast, 
um, I'll, it'll open the door for other, for me to get to be able to do this more often. So I appreciate Ethan, not only for being on here as a guest and sharing his, his knowledge with us, but also for helping me progress in my tech capability. It took us a while to get up and going, but we did it, made it work. And Ethan, why don't you give our, our listeners a little bit of information about your background and where you're coming from and, and maybe include in there how you got into the subject of Scottish clans. Yeah, thank you so much, Clint. Thank you for having me on. Uh, it's really exciting to be here. Um, as far as my background, I grew up, uh, as you kind of mentioned, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area in California, uh, which actually will play into how I'm interested in the Scottish clans. Uh, but a little bit about me now, I am a graduating senior at the University of California, Davis. I'm double majoring in genetics and genomics in Spanish, and I'm also pre-med. So the end goal is to become a doctor. Uh, but genealogy and Scottish clans in general has been a passion of mine. It's something I do on the side, but I haven't really decided where I want to take it, but it's something that I'm really interested in, especially on an academic level. So just kind of seeing where that goes. Uh, and then as far as how I got interested in the Scottish clans, so the city I'm actually from is Pleasanton in the Bay Area. And for some reason, I'm sure most of the people listening have never heard of Pleasanton, but Pleasanton has a very large Scottish Highland Gathering and Games. Uh, if you actually Google Scottish Highland Gathering and Games and you look at the Wikipedia page, it says that the Pleasanton one is the largest uh, in the world in terms of spectators. Uh, wow. So there's one in Scotland that has more like uh, more competitors. Uh, but I think the 155th an or annual games was uh, six years ago. Uh, and there was think if you look, it says 50,000 spectators. Um, so for some reason, wow. yeah, Pleasanton has a very large gathering. Uh, and my mom's maiden name is Dinning, spelled like winning with a D. Uh, so their family immigrated to the U.S. from Kilmarnock in the Lowlands in the 1880s. So that kind of got me into the uh, Scottish games. Uh, so I've been going ever since I was really young. And I really wanted... Uh, there's a racetrack, uh, like horse racing at the fairgrounds in Pleasanton. And so there's always a kilted mile. So everyone runs a mile. The only requirement is wear a kilt. And I'm not a very good runner, but I really want, I thought it was so cool. Uh, and I really wanted a kilt and all these people, these people flying from Scotland, Australia, everywhere, talking about the rich family history. And I really wanted to be a part of it. And so I asked my uh, dad, I said, dad, like, what clan are we a part of? Uh, and his, on his side of the family, the only one he knew at the time was his grandmother's maiden name is Wilson. And if you go and you look in the, like the tartan books, the Wilson, uh, kilt was green and pink. I just, that didn't really, I wasn't a big fan of green and pink at like eight years old. Uh, and so I asked him if there are any other options and cause dinning wasn't really, if you just look in the general, uh, books, dinning isn't really a part of the clan. Uh, and he said, well, no, but you'll have to, I guess you'll have to research our family. Uh, and so I was 10 at the time, this is 2011. And that kind of like everything took off from there. I started just on genealogy, wanting to know what clans I was related to so I could buy a kilt. Uh, and now it's just kind of progressed and I've learned so much more about what a Scottish clan is. I think a lot of stuff back then, I had a lot of misconceptions. Mm -hmm. um, what a clan is, how DNA is incorporated, um, 
I still don't have a kilt. Uh, that's that's coming. Um, but yeah, that's kind of been my journey with uh, genealogy and Scottish coins. That is awesome, man. There's a lot of a lot of things that I connected with when you're describing that. I, I mean, I. I spent a lot of my, I've always figured, kind of fancied myself somebody who knew a lot about the subject, but it was mostly the stuff that you can skim off of a Google search and which is all the same stuff regurgitated. And so my, I was like, I would say, I was going to say a mile wide and an inch deep, but it was more like a foot wide and an inch deep because a mile wide would have been way overstating it. But it was when uh, I, had to get into my master's thesis and I had to, you know, you're supposed to, and you're in college right now, you know, you're supposed to challenge, like, if I say this in my paper, what backup, like, how do I support that? Is this a well-known fact that you don't need a site? Like this is just general knowledge. Or if I say this, am I asserting something that takes a little bit of some, and in doing that and with the thesis, I, I really had to examine, like, is this even solid? Is this even, <laughs> legit or is this anyway but it, it definitely forced pushed me into it and that's kind of the foundation for this podcast so i think a lot of people with what you're going to share today is going to uh, they're going to um i think they're going to really connect with it um so we're going to get into talking about dna and um well one one quick thing before that um kill marnock I have Boyd's in my family tree and they were the, I don't, I don't know when the earldom was created, but the Earls of Kilmarnock, there's, that used to be called, I think it's called Dean Castle, but it's there just on the outskirts of Kilmarnock, which is near Ayr, isn't it? There. Yeah, I believe Kilmarnock is in Ayrshire, yeah. the county. And right. I think it's close. Um, and then I, one thought on dinning is I, I don't know for sure, cause I've never really researched that, but I do have another family name that in my family tree is called Glenn Denning or sometimes it's spelled Glenn Denning. Anyway, they're, uh, they're closely associated with the Douglases and they come from the border country and they're, they're, they're sometimes listed in those lists that you see of, and those are fairly historical. Like they made records, like here's the families that we have problems with on the border <laughs> and they're in right, those I lists. Yeah. So anyway, cool. Um, let's talk about, let's, let's, let's get into this, um, basics. I'm, I'm following everybody. I'm following an outline that Ethan submitted to me. He said, take a look at this, see what you think. I'd, we'd already bounced the idea of doing this back and forth. And I said, yeah, give me, give me some ideas of what, how you want to do this. Cause he's the one that knows I, I have not gone super deep into DNA. I have touched on it, but I'm not authorized to really say much on this. And I'm just kind of going to go off of some of the things that Ethan said, hey, here's a kind of a logical way to, and we can, Ethan, we can stick close to it or we can depart from it wherever the conversation takes us. Basically, everybody just is going to get to listen to me and Ethan nerd out with DNA as the foundation of the conversation here. So uh, basics, what is DNA? What type of types of DNA testing are offered? How does testing work? And what is a haplogroup? Touch on some of those. Yeah, of course. So to start off, that's four questions. Uh, I want to make sure I describe that accurately. So at any time, I'm kind of inundated with this stuff for my classes. So if I say something that's like too sciencey or like doesn't make sense, like please interrupt me uh, 
so that everyone, uh, the listeners can understand and for you as well. So first of all, what is DNA? It's probably the question people are most familiar with. Um, DNA, I think in the simplest terms, is the unit of heredity that we all have. So it's what makes us human or any species what they are. Um, and so there are three types of DNA, more or less, which kind of goes into DNA testing. As to the most common, when you see commercials for DNA testing, typically it's ancestry DNA. They kind of do the best job of putting themselves out there on television. Um, but there's the other company, 23andMe, people are really familiar with, MyHeritage, uh, Family Tree DNA. Most of the time when people are talking about those tests, uh, they're autosomal DNA tests. And so what that means is that for humans, we have 23 pairs of chromosomes and a chromosome is basically a large collection of DNA. Um, and so 22 of those pairs are called your autosomes and the 23rd pair is called your sex chromosomes. And so for men, they have an X and a Y chromosome and for women, they have two X's. And so when you take an autosomal test, uh, that test is looking at your 22 uh, autosomes, the first 22 pairs of chromosomes that you have. And the significance of this uh, is that those chromosomes do not follow a special inheritance pattern. So when we talk about you get 50% from your, uh, your parents and 25% from your grandparents, what you're really talking about is your autosomes. Um, and so that happens uh, because of recombination, a certain process. Um, but that's the majority of tests that people are familiar with. But there's actually two other types of DNA testing that is a little more targeted and it gives you less overall information, but when used correctly, uh, it's very beneficial. So the other two kinds are Y DNA testing, which uh, if it sounds like Y chromosome, it's because it is. Uh, it tests specific DNA on your Y chromosome. And the significance of that is uh, the Y chromosome is only passed down from father to son. Uh, and in Western tradition surnames are also inherited from father to son. So basically what that allows you to have is a genetic test for your surname. Uh, so that doesn't work in all cases. I mean, like across all cultures, um, but for Scottish clans and, you know, most surnames in Western Europe, uh, that's how it works. And so what you end up with is your DNA matches with Y DNA testing should all have your surname. And because it's Y chromosome, it's on the Y chromosome, you actually know how you're related. At some point, your father's 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 father, however many generations back, is the same person. It's up to you to figure out how many generations back that is. Um, and then the last type of DNA testing is called mitochondrial DNA testing. And that is a specific part of your DNA that's actually not part of your 23 pairs of chromosomes. Um, and that part of your DNA <clears throat> Uh, like I said, is independent from your genomic DNA and it's inherited strictly from, uh, it's passed down from mother to daughter. So as a male, it's basically the opposite of the, of the Y DNA. So your Y DNA follows your, it's what's called your patriline. So like your father's 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 side and your mitochondrial DNA follows your matriline, which is your mother's 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 side. Cool. So, so I don't, I don't. Yeah, go ahead. A question on that. So mitochondrial DNA, can I, 
get a mitochondrial DNA of my female line, I just can't pass it on to the next one as a male or do I like, is, am, am I a blank? I mean, is it just not even there? It's, yes. it's there in me, right? Yeah. So the first is, so all men have mitochondrial DNA. You just can't pass it on. Gotcha. But no female has a Y chromosome and all okay. males can pass on the Y chromosome. So it's not a, the Y, the Y DNA and the mitochondrial, they're, they're not uh, mirror images of each other in far, as far as how they work. Right. And another, another just a comment in our, when you're talking about the Y DNA theoretically should follow the, the, the male line, but then you have things like some people are surprised because there's a non-patrilineal or a non, what's it called? A non-paternal. Non-paternity event. Yeah. Non-paternity event. But, but you got to have a, and now that's not always an affair. Sometimes it is. Right. Sometimes it was, um, I was listening to, to actually just recently, like yesterday while I was working out, which this is weird stuff to listen to while you're working out, but <laughs> the, a, an Irish gentleman on YouTube talking about the Dalgash clans, oh, tribal yeah. network. And, and, uh, and he, he did bring something up. It was interesting because sometimes, and we do see this with like Seton and Gordon and then Sutherland you kind of hop from one to the other and those are not following the male line. So the Earls of Huntley, the, the, the actual Gordon male line ran out. This is how I understand it. And if I'm getting this wrong and the Gordons and Seton's and Sutherland's can all like send me hate messages, but <laughs> the way I understand it is the Gordon male line ran out, but the heiress who had married a Seton and the, the rule was if they're, offspring were to carry the earl the earldom of huntley or the lordship i don't know if it was an earldom yet maybe it was but if that was going to continue through that line they'd have to change their name to gordon and so the subsequent yeah. earls of huntley or the people who took the gordon name are actually in the male line setons and then you have a gordon who marries a sutherland heiress and he both gets the the earldom of Sutherland and he, contrary to what this version of this with the Rosses, he, and he becomes the head of the kindred with, with a little bit of contest originally from other people who thought they were better and more legitimate fit for that. But eventually, so you have Seton becomes Gordon becomes Sutherland. If you chase the right line through female lines, but I mean, I think it's good that you, you establish the rule you got to get that settled before you start talking about exceptions. The rule is theoretically, this would follow a surname. Yeah. And I'll actually talk about a little later. Uh, okay, good. Scientists have calculated the non-paternity event rate or like about what it is. Per oh, really? Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later. Awesome. Get down. I'll um, stand off. Just to, no, no worries. Um, just to continue on, because I think those four questions are important for the groundwork mm -hmm. of the rest of it. Uh, how does DNA testing work? Uh, I think this is really important, uh, particularly uh, when people are talking about ethnicity estimates, like how oh, I was this percentage, uh, uh, whatever, Scandinavian or something. Um, so what they do is they take uh, a reference population or people that they have decided by some metric, typically it's like all four grandparents were born in the same what X number of mile vicinity. 
and they'll take a, a group of those people and say that this is what we are defining as Scottish mm-hmm. or English or Norwegian or Danish or whatever. And then when you test, they compare you to those other people and they assign you percentages. And so what are they actually uh, comparing when they do that? Uh, and this will be kind of important when we get into why DNA testing. Uh, so the most common, uh, I don't know what to call it, the most common like genetic marker that they're looking at is called, uh, it's a single nucleotide polymorphism, which is a long, uh, long phrase that's commonly abbreviated as SNP, spelled SNP. Okay. Uh, and to break that down, so single nucleotide. So most people or many people might be familiar with your DNA is made of four letters. So your A, C, G, and T. Uh, and so each one of those is called a nucleotide. So single nucleotide, polymorphism, poly meaning many, and then morphism meaning kind of like a mutation. And so what a, what a SNP basically is, is a change in a letter in your DNA that is indicative of a population. So they might say that English people at this one part of your DNA have a C, but everyone else in the world has an A. So then when they look at your DNA, they say, oh, like Clint, you have a C, then they assign that certain portion as English that's to you. Um, and so that's, that's the main way it works in why DNA testing there is SNP testing, which is the way I just described. And then there's, this is kind of older and it's slowly becoming outdated, but it's still very much used because it's cheaper. Uh, there's SNP testing and then there's STR testing. And STR stands for short tandem repeat. And I'll also break that down. Uh, so repeat is a sequence of letters. So it might be like ACT and then Short tandem repeat means that that ACT repeats like let's say 10 times in a row, hence the tandem aspect. And so scientists have also decided or determined that the amount of times these certain places repeat can also be indicative of a population the same way that a SNP can be indicative of a population. So if you use those two concepts that you just explained, the SNP and the, what was the other one called? Uh, STR. Okay. So if you take those two, do they, do they use them together to refine the picture? So what they're finding now, which is why STR testing is slowly becoming outdated, is that it's easier to get what's called convergence in STR testing. So it's possible for a repeat to occur the same number of times in two individuals by chance uh, with mutation. So like, let's say someone initially had 11 repeats of a certain sequence and it got mutated to where one was lost. So there's only 10 and a second individual had nine and there's a duplication and now they have 10. Both of those people now have 10, but historically, like ancestrally, their lineages are different. And it's very hard. So often you can get false positives with Mm. STR testing. And so SNP testing is slowly becoming more widespread. And uh, it only got introduced. uh, Family Tree DNA is the only company, only big company 
offers Y DNA testing and mitochondrial DNA testing. The rest of the companies only do autosomal DNA testing. Yes. So Family Tree DNA only released their SNP Y DNA testing. Um, don't quote me on this, but I, it might be like six years ago or something. Okay. So it's relatively recent versus SGR data has been a lot more common for a while. Okay. Okay. Good. Hey, thank you for laying that foundation. Let me, let me say some of that back to you, like in my own, a lot dumber sounding way. All right. Before you get to hear me say that back to Ethan in a way that makes sure I understood it, let me tell you a little bit about the sponsor for the podcast, USA Kilts. Rocky and his crew there are running a mighty fine operation. They produce some wonderfully uh, well-made products. If you have any desire to display your Scottish pride, go to usakilts.com. If you have any desire to hear some great content, not only about kilt wearing, but a lot of stuff about kilt wearing, but also some Scottish history, culture, other things that they've studied up and learned on. They've got some guests that come on there occasionally. Go to YouTube to USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions. Uh, awesome products, awesome customer service, free shipping in the U.S. Guys, go check them out, usakilts.com or USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions on YouTube. All right, now let's get back to um, making sure I understood Ethan correctly. And I'll use use an example, because so I, I had a an, an autosomal test from Ancestry, and... And they, you know, as their sample size grows bigger and bigger, they refine it. So you check your, I've got an app on my phone and I can check it, but I, that's, that's why I did it. So I could see that ethnicity breakdown. Right. And so what you're saying there was that it's when, when they say, Hey, you're in, in this case, cause most people listening to this want to know about their Scottish ancestry. So, Hey, you're 42% Scottish. That's not saying 42% of your ancestry comes from Scotland. It's saying 42% of your DNA looks like DNA that the people have in Scotland. Is that correct? And so, yeah. so when I saw my results, they were not... So this is for my Welsh side. It had my, my most recent is in the 30s. 30, 30 something percent, which that seems about right. My dad's side of the family settled a valley over here in Southeast Idaho, which was predominantly Welsh. Uh, the name of the town's Malad, which means sick in French, but um, that had to do with French fur trappers and nobody knew better to change the name. It's kind of a crazy name for a, for a valley, but I love the valley and it's where my roots are. And so a bunch of Welshmen. So that looked, that part of it looked good about what I thought it would be but then the other ratios like there should be my english ratio should be huge and it's not my my scottish percent is higher than you would think looking at my family tree so is the scandinavian part of my family tree or my my dna test that says i have way more scandinavian blood than my family tree represents and so what I take, so you, so I want to, this is why I want to bounce this, bounce this off you. Cause I think a lot of the listeners who are like, oh, I'm 42% or 38 or 70, whatever percent, this or that, what I'm gathering from that is 
I, I probably have a bunch of English ancestors who have very Scottish or Scandinavian-looking DNA, but they're Englishmen. And they probably in real life would have, some of them might have been just, to know that their DNA looks Scottish, they probably would have killed them. <laughs> you know, they probably would have been upset to hear that. But, and, and it makes sense with the Viking input there that a lot of Englishmen and people all over the British Isles have Viking look or Scandinavian looking DNA. Viking's not a race. It was a job description. But, uh, but am I, am I, am I, is my thought process accurate on that? Yeah. And so that's why I'm not a big, like when people get into the weeds about their percentages or try to make something of it, it's really hard. There's a reason they're called estimates. Uh, and so especially in the British Isles, like of most of the studies that have come out on the British Isles, yes, you can distinguish or cluster people like based off of region and stuff, but they're so zoomed in when they're looking at that. And like by and large, uh, like you talked about, I think your first couple episodes were on the origins of like large scale Scottish clans and whether they're, um, you know, uh, from the Gales or the Picts or, and so if you, if you think about it, most, both the English and Scottish have a Norman influence, both English and Scottish have a Scandinavian influence, whether it's the Dane law in England, mm -hmm. uh, or like the Vikings, kind of in Orkney, the Norwegians. Um, so a lot of the populations who historically have contributed to Scotland, and England are very similar. So I wouldn't, those percentages probably will change uh, and continue to change. Uh, anecdotally, anecdotally, the Scotland percentage seems to be inflated right now, uh, just based off of the tests that I've, like that I'm in charge of. Um, people have higher Scottish, in my family, people have higher Scottish percentages than, than they should. And the Scandinavian yeah. tends to linger a little bit. And I think it is because, and what that's not necessarily saying is you have some long lost Swedish, like great, great grandfather. It's that, like you said, the, your DNA today is similar to English people who are probably also similar to Scandinavian or Swedish mm -hmm. people. And it's all because of a, a history, uh, whatever, a couple hundred years ago but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have recent ancestry. So you might, the trap that people fall into is you could, end, if you look at it too religiously, you might looking for, you might start looking for ancestors that don't, don't exist. Gotcha. Now that's a really, I think, I think that's really important for a lot of the listeners to hear. Cause I do see this come up quite often. I mean, you've been on the, uh, on the Facebook group and, and I mean, I think on the Facebook group, Probably the majority of people on there have never listened to an episode <laughs> ever once, even though that was what it was created for, uh, for a kind of like a discussion forum for the, for the podcast originally. But um, you see that a lot, lot on there. Hey, DNA results said this. And, and I liked, I think your, what you just explained helps them understand how, not how seriously to take it, but what it what it's good for and what it's not good for and i think you're going to get that in into that a little bit more here in a second yeah i will uh and before before we jump to the next one just the last thing because this will time directly please so uh what we're going to go into is what is a haplogroup um so i think the most succinct way so you have a paternal it's comes down to a haplogroup is a term used to describe or to group 
your Y DNA and your mitochondrial DNA. So it's only, you don't have an autosomal haplogroup group or, or like ancestry DNA is not going to tell you haplogroup. group. It's specific to, you have a paternal haplogroup, group, which is your Y DNA and your maternal haplogroup, group, which is your mitochondrial DNA. And the most succinct way will, uh, as listeners will see, we're going to be focusing on Y DNA. So your paternal haplogroup, group, uh, I would define it as a collection of men who have the same set of mutations on their Y chromosome. Uh, so mutations happen naturally, and they're actually very necessary and very useful uh, to geneticists uh, and genealogists because that's how we group people together. So it, it's somewhat intuitive if you think about it that two random English people are probably more closely related than an Englishman and a Frenchman, and the Englishman and the Frenchman are probably more closely related to each other than they are to someone from Italy and, and you know, going out and all those Europeans sure. are probably more closely related than they are to a Chinese person or something. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because the science of that or the underlying genetics is that through each generation, uh, mutations naturally occur uh, from father to son in this case in your Y chromosome. Um, and so those mutations, the succession of those can be grouped together uh, so that's called a haplogroup. Um, and so the ancestor of all men, scientists have dubbed Y chromosomal Adam. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, if you're listening, uh, it's, uh, and you're familiar with biblical stories, that's where the name Adam is coming from. But scientists don't necessarily mean it's referring to the same person. It's just the term for whoever they're considering. The, the most recent common ancestor of all living men are today. And then haplogroups are named, so the oldest, or in the scientific jargon is basal, the most basal haplogroup is AA00, and then they branch off from each other, so then there's B, C, all the way down. Um, so if you're just doing like a cursory look at haplogroups in, uh, in Europe, you'll see R1B come up a lot, um, and so that is just a scientific designation uh, for one of those descendants of Y chromosomal Adam. Uh, and the frequency of R1B just happens to be extremely high in Europe. Um, and so uh, last thing to get into on haplogroups before we move on is that there's two nomenclature systems uh, and it can get confusing. This tripped me up when I started doing research on this. Um, the old nomenclature system is a, like a hierarchical system. So it'll be uh, letter number, letter number. So like I just said, like R1B, or if they're longer, like R1B, A2C, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then at some point, scientists decided it would be more beneficial because as you find new uh, mutations, that system could change this name of the same set of mutations. And it got really confusing because they'd mm -hmm. have to update them. So they decided that the easier way to do that would be to name them by the SNP mutation to use the term that we were talking about. Okay. Um, the most recent SNP mutation became the name. So uh, RM2, uh, I believe it's RM269 um, is uh, the most common haplogroup in Western Europe. Uh, and that M269 is the name of the SNP mutation uh, that culminates like in that string mutations. I don't know if that made sense. Uh, if I, I think any, any of the listeners who have started poking around in this subject, 
I think they've seen some of these, especially if they get more lineage, lineage specific. Um, I, I, I have seen this even in prepping for the talking about the Sinclairs recently. Um, I got into some of their genetic stuff and they're like, yeah, this, this guy here had this. And he, I think he's talking about those, those smaller, more distinct that you're just describing rather than just keep on adding letters and numbers on the haplogroup. So, so as an example, so R1B1, A1, A2, which is a mouthful mm -hmm. is the same as RM269. Okay. And every, and everyone today, you will only hear RM269 because if they find a new mutation at some point and it's like, oh shoot, well now R1B1 is, should actually be R1B2, but it refers to the same thing. It just, it ends up being a mess. Yeah. And so you'll see more and more, it's just the names of the SNPs. I think we're all appreciative for things that make things simpler. <laughs> okay, cool. So thank you for laying the foundation. Um, how do what DNA is different types of DNA, how those tests work, what they mean, what they don't mean. Let, let's push in a little bit into, um, what can, what can and can't DNA testing tell us specifically why DNA, what can it and what can't it tell us about the, uh, Scottish clan system? Cause I, I think what, well, even like something I saw, saw recently. I'm 42% Scottish. What clan am I? And boom, they want to just take this and this and just connect them immediately. Right. And so I think that specifically, I'll start actually with that example, because I do think a lot of people come in with the percentages. Um, I autosomal DNA testing like ancestry or something just based off the percentages can't really tell you anything about your relationship to the Scottish clan system. Um, because I mean, Clint, like you've talked about in uh, earlier episodes, not everyone was, not every Scottish person has clan ancestors who were part of the clan system. Um, and so just being simply Scottish isn't enough to have necessarily been a part of the clan system. <laughs> uh, and obviously you've talked about the definition, like a kin-based society and the kindred groups. Um, and so it's not necessarily restricted to the highlands, but that being said, there's still, I, I don't know the percentage, but there's definitely a significant number of Scottish people who have no historical relation uh, to the clan system. Um, yeah. And so then, sorry, I didn't know if you wanted to. No, no, I was just agreeing with you. I, it's, it's a hard subject because, <clears throat> pardon me, the purists want to be like, yeah, clans only, it's a, it's a Gallic word, it only existed with the Gales, then you run into problems with that because like then you're relegating to the highlands but then you have um you have parts around like inverness that started to become scots speaking and so what's left over did they still have the clan system when those people like that's highlands it was gallic then it wasn't and then you got galloway uh, galloway not Gal not galloway ireland but galloway scotland where that was a cultural extension of that Gaul Gale. In fact, that's even where it comes from. That whole thing that we consider with the Hebrides and that fusion of Norse and Gallic cultures and blood and all that stuff. That was it. Galloway was an extension of that. You can look on a map and it just circles right down nicely through there. And that was Gallic speaking up until the somewhere into the 1600s, I think. And so that you, 
when you're trying to box it up and make these tidy little divisions within Scotland. So I've argued that the clan or the kin-based society, even if it wasn't called clan, like it wasn't on the border, although the border had something very similar that a Highlander would have noticed a lot of similarities with, something that familiar. So there, I would argue that there were clans, to use a blanket term for the whole that whole society, throughout Scotland, in, including the lowlands, while also maintaining that like you were just hitting on not every single for some people it was their borough that was more important to them than the bigger kin group or some other thing some other identity that was stronger than that and may, yeah anyway it's 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 not tidy i think is the point so and i think that leans into what you're saying so continue on yeah yeah and just as a sh like very quick anecdote that's what i ended up finding out about my dinning family is that mm -hmm. you know, from Kilmarnock is that they weren't part of they were there was no clan connection there they just were scottish um and so that's why i we're going to be focusing on why dna because uh, as i'm sure most of you are aware the scottish clan system is quite patriarchal and so that leans very strongly into why dna testing uh, and there is a more uh, meaningful discussion to be had about what Y-DNA testing can tell you about uh, your connection to the clan system. Um, but I think it is very important to qualify what it can and can't tell you. Uh, so a lot of clans, I, Clan Donald is the one who's pioneered this, kind of followed by Clan Gregor uh, with using DNA testing. Um, and so they've identified, and now many clans have followed suit uh, they've tested either the clan chief or relatives of the clan chief, uh, and through SNP testing, uh, like we mentioned earlier, they've determined what the marker is for the chiefly line of the clan. Uh, and it's very important to highlight that it's the chiefly line. Um, and as you've talked about, Clint, again, in other episodes, uh, clan was a lot bigger than just the people who were related to the chief. And so one thing that you have to be careful about is that when you take a test, um, I would say a Y-DNA test is um, the results can be sufficient, but not necessary to prove a connection to a Scottish clan. And so what I mean by that is if you take a Y-DNA test or you have a male relative take a Y-DNA test and they match the chiefly signature, I think it is pretty clear. And you have that surname of the chief. I think it's pretty clear to say that you, your ancestors uh, were a part of that Scottish clan. Uh, however many hundred years back. Uh, however, if you have a Scottish clan surname and you take a Y-DNA test and your Y-DNA does not match the chiefly line of the clan that your surname's a part of, that's where it gets a little murky. I, I don't know that you can definitively say that your family was not a part of that Scottish clan. And I think that's kind of where some traditional genealogical work uh, comes in and it ends up becoming a probability or probabilistic to a certain extent. And you just have to decide what you're comfortable with deciding at what point where your ancestors are part of the clan. Um, there are records that exist. Uh, like I, I think you mentioned, uh, Clint, where you could say these people lived in this clan's property or household. And so you can maybe infer that they were a part of the clan. Um, but why DNA testing specifically, if you don't match the chiefly line, does not automatically mean that you're not part of that Scottish clan. It just requires some more effort. Absolutely. And, and not all 
you, you hit on this, not all people within the clan, even though they, they bore the surname, they, might, they may or may not be actually blood-related to the chief. That's important. I think, and this is something that, um, you know, Neil King, he's, he's quite active on the, on the Facebook group and he's, and I, and I value, and some people get all wound up and they get their, <laughs> oh, there's a lot of vulgar terms I could use for that, but they get all, they, they get offended, I guess, is the, the short way of saying that because he'll throw things like that out, out there, like, cause that there's, there's the DNA, there's the surname which are like you were saying, they're, they're leads. And then also it's hard to, you can't replace just actually doing some genealogy. And sometimes that's hard because sometimes the records weren't well kept and in some areas they were kept better than in others. And you can only find it back to a certain place. And then you're like, I've, I've got McCormick ancestors that were from Fife. That's not a McCormick, McCormick's not a Fife name my assumptions, they came from somewhere else, but I can't get it any farther back than those in Fife. I don't know if they're a sept of the McLeans or the Buchanans, but this, that genealogy work that you can't just shrug your shoulder and say, well, I got a DNA test and I have this last name. But if you can get, if you can trace, if you're, what's a name? Well, if, let's go back to your Wilson example. I think that with the Wilsons, I've got a lot of mileage out of the Wilsons because <laughs> it's a very common Scottish last name, isn't it? And yeah, extremely common. Yeah. And, and there was a bunch of sons of Will who had no connection to the guns, a lot of them. But if, but if you could double it up with a, a DNA test that, Hey, our DNA kind of looks like that. Also, we can trace ancestry up to Caithness or Sutherland. Somewhere, somewhere up in the region of Scotland where the guns held sway. Now we're really putting it all together. What, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, and, and, and even uh, Wilson's a common example. And I, I commented at one point, I think on one of the posts about my own Wilson uh, journey that my, my Wilson, I have Wilson's too. I mentioned it um, at the beginning on my dad's side. And they're from the Scottish-English border, which is not close to Caithness. Uh, and, but my family has a, I don't know how old the tradition is, but, uh, my dad and his third cousin, so relatively old, were both told that we were descended from clan gun. Uh, and I had my cousin who is a male Wilson that still has the surname. I had him take a wide DNA test, uh, and there is no connection to the guns. Um, and so... <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's popular. I mean, I'm sure that's pretty common with the name Wilson, but something to also caution against the DNA test is that, I mean, even Mac in, in Gaelic just means son. And so if, if you're a, a Mackenzie or a Mackay, like that doesn't necessarily, there were many of Kenneth's and, and I's running around in Scotland. Uh, and so it's it's hard to say. I am can't remember off the top of my head, but there actually are a couple examples I think Mackay, maybe you could correct me, but there's like two independent Mackay families that aren't related and they both in Scotland and they just happen to be two, you know, eyes from whatever, hundred years ago, hundreds of years ago. No, that's a really good one to, to illustrate that point. There's, I, I think there's more than two. There's several completely unrelated, um, Donaldson, Duncan, the, these over ubiquitous in Scotland. And so your last name is Duncan. You're like, well, clearly we were 
from the Struans, the you know, like the Robertsons of Struan and and up in that group. Ah, maybe you were, maybe not. <laughs> Do some genealogy, take a DNA test, double up. But I think too many people are getting their information from a jewelry website or some other place where there's a clan list. Or, or you know, like I went to a couple of Scottish festivals last summer and Sure enough, large as life, they'll have a sign put up and it says, hey, here's all our, you know, this clan will say, here's all our septs. Well, yeah, they're probably not, it's probably not inaccurate. There's probably were people who were tailors that were, I know there were tailors who were connected to the Camerons. But to your Wilson example, I mean, but yeah, Mackay's, McNeil, Matheson, Morrison. And those are all names that have an actual clan and then a bunch of other people who were not, not connected. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So let's, let's get into it. Like, as we're already starting to lean in our conversation towards specific surnames. Are you ready to go to that? Yep. I'm ready. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes the first chunk of this interview with Ethan. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. Super informative. Because we didn't get so much, we just cut that off right before we were starting to talk about specific, and we did mention a few specific clans and surnames as examples, but he's fixing to go into a lot more detail about how DNA can be applied to, um, into more depth about certain clans. So follow on, jump over to the next episode if you're listening to this by the time I publish the next episode. I'm actually... Traditionally, I would publish part one, and then maybe a week later or so, if I already had that all ready to go, I'd publish part two. But I think this time, I'm just going to publish them both at the same time, and so you'll be able to listen to one, and as soon as you're ready, hop on over and check out the second part. We've got a lot of great content still ahead of you, so go check it out. I just want to, once again, tell Ethan how grateful I am for him taking time to do that. He's spent a lot of time learning about this, not just the DNA stuff, but the the clans in general. And it was so nice to talk to somebody who could really dive into um, the subject as deep as I want to dive into it. I haven't been able to do that in person, well, since Dane Sawyer. Dane, I miss you, buddy. Uh, we used to, he was in my unit. We used to just go to drill together and in between training when we were uh, conducting step eight of troop leading procedures, i.e. supervising, quote unquote, we would just nerd out. And so I haven't got to do that because he hasn't, he moved away a long time ago and we haven't been able to do that for a while. So uh, Dane, I miss you, bro. And um, it was nice. It was refreshing to get to have that conversation with Ethan. Hope you liked it. Go on and check out part two. You're really going to like part two. And until you do that, Marishan Leivendrasta. Drasta.